This podcast is brought to you by the American Enterprise Institute. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. Thanks for listening. Here's our show. What in the hell's going on? What the hell is going on? What the hell is going on? I don't know what the hell he's talking about. You don't have to know what the hell is on it. What the hell's the matter with these guys? We don't know what's going on. What the hell's going on? Who in God's name knows what it's all about? Hi, I'm Danielle Pletka. And I'm Mark Thiessen. Welcome to our podcast, What the Hell is Going On? Mark, what the hell is going on in politics? Well, we're talking about what the hell is going on with no labels. So the Democrats are freaking out because no labels, uh, this this nonpartisan or bipartisan uh, group is in the process of getting on the ballot in all 50 states. And they are very serious about running a third party ticket if Donald Trump and Joe Biden are the nominees of their two parties. Uh, Nikki Haley just had a good performance in New Hampshire. She's heading to South Carolina. The GOP primary is not over yet. So, you know, I don't want to presume that she's going to not going to succeed because she seems to feel she still has a path to victory. So let that all play out. But we've got to start thinking about how this general election uh, plays out. And unlike uh, Robert F. Kennedy or Jill Stein or some of the or Cornell West or some of these smaller candidates, no label seems to think that it has a path to victory. And the polls kind of bear that out. There's a their own research. I just want to give people the polling so they know what the context is. Um, 59 percent of all voters say they would consider a moderate independent candidate in the 2024 race, including 59 percent of Democrats, 53 percent of Republicans and 70 percent of independents. And that's borne out by a new Reuters Ipsos poll, which just came out, which shows 56 percent of Americans feel Donald Trump should not run for president in 2024, 70 percent say Biden should not run for president in 2024. 67% said they're tired of seeing the same candidates in presidential elections and want somebody new. And that includes majorities of Democrats, Republicans, and independents. And 52% of Americans are not satisfied with the two-party system and want a third choice. So I think we're seeing I, I, people who dismiss this and say, oh, third parties never win. Well, that's true. They've won is never won. But there's a first time for everything. And these stars may align this year to make a third party ticket a serious contender. I don't know if, how much of a long shot it is, how crazy it is. But I think no labels would be a serious contender. And it certainly would shake up the race. There's no question about that. So I don't think that most Americans are worried about a third party. We've had lots of political parties, right? Marginal parties, the Greens, whoever. I think most people are afraid that a third party is just a spoiler, right? Because the Republican Party and the Democratic Party have this death grip on both the American political system and on the financing for that political system. And they're worried that all that no labels will do is to throw the election to, you know, the candidate I hate the most. Depends on, on which candidate you hate the most. I mean, do you think that's wrong, that they're just really going to be spoilers? Um, it really depends on who they pick. I think it's fair to say that they are a greater threat to Joe Biden than they are to Trump, but I think they're a threat to both. I think they're not going to get into it unless they think they can win. And I think there's an argument for them to win. I actually think that if this that uh, that this race could be a no labels versus Trump race 
because Biden is so unpopular if you give them a uh, if you give people a third choice. Here's why I think this year might be unusual or unique where the stars have aligned in a way they might never otherwise. So you've got the polls I cited that 70 percent don't want uh, Biden to run, 60 percent don't want Trump to run. Those candidates don't have a safe harbor to go to, because if you don't want Trump to run and you're a conservative, you're not going to vote for for Joe Biden because he is quite literally the worst president in my lifetime. Um, and just look at the litany of you don't, don't have to take my word for it. He is underwater by double digits on every issue that the voters say are a priority for them. Um, and so. They're not those people are not going to vote for Biden. He's not a benign alternative. And if you're a somebody who leans Democratic, sort of moderate centrist Democrat, but doesn't like the Biden presidency, you're not going to vote for Donald Trump because of all the reasons that are obvious. Right. So people are stuck with this sort of it's like the trolley problem where, you, you know, if you pull the lever, five people, if you don't pull the lever, five people die. If you do pull the lever, one person dies. Right. They, there's no good option. No labels gives a good option. Uh, it gives an option that is benign, that is, you know, centrist, that is moderate, that gives you a, a safe harbor to go and vote for. And so I think this particular year, if the two parties are not listening to the voters who are saying we don't want a rematch, um, then they might uh, they you know, maybe people will say, screw you and vote for the third party. Yes, I think you're right. But, you know, you and I were talking offline before we started recording and what I think you said is just hugely important. At the end of the day, we are talking about no labels as a theoretical exercise. We don't know who the candidates are. We don't know whether it's a Republican at the top of the ticket. We don't know if it's a Democrat at the top of the ticket. And in in a lot of ways, this is a closed process, right? It's not like you and I and the rest of the American voters are choosing who these candidates are going to be. It's uh, Pat McCrory and Ben Chavis, uh, the two co-chairmen and the entire apparatus and presumably also the donors of No Labels. Knowing who you hate and what you hate is great, much harder to choose who you like. And some of the names that we've seen set forth are people who I'm not going to vote for, whether they're Republicans or Democrats. I mean, like who? Well, you know, uh, various military people. Um, so one of the most interesting things uh, about politics uh, that I think is, are, is, is only visible to insiders in Washington is, you know, this idea that there are certain people who are quote unquote Republican or quote unquote Democrats, but actually they're just hacks. So if people probably don't remember Wes Clark, um, who was, you know, a, a senior military official ultimately ran as a as a democrat but i mean everybody before he started running everybody would have said oh no he's a nonpartisan military hero and the answer is uh no he's a democrat um and we knew he was a democrat i just saw on twitter um the former sac your the supreme allied commander in europe our senior most commandant in the european theater who is now retired no longer in the military uh, retweet um, E.J. Dion, who had a piece saying, you know, Donald Trump is the greatest threat to democracy in the world. Right. I'm, uh, ben Hodges is a Democrat. Um, I get it. And I think he's a good man. But he's in politics. It doesn't matter whether you're a good military commander. 
it matters what party you and ideas you you absorb. So I think no labels really isn't yet defined. Yeah, so it's got to be a politician. I mean, this is not a time for amateur hour. And it's not a time for people who haven't been tested at the ballot ever before, right? There's been talk of certain military officers who, who might be on the ticket. You know, I mean, you look, you look at uh, Ross Perot's running mate, Jim Stockdale, who's an American hero, and then showed up as the vice president, was his vice presidential candidate, and, and just like his debate performance was so terrible that he became a national joke. This is a guy who, you know, was in, was in the Hanoi Hilton, who, who was one of, you know, such a, such a great American military figure and like, you know, just ruined his reputation with one bad debate performance. I wouldn't want to see that happen to some of these great, you know, unlike Wes Clark, some like actually people who I admire enormously. Right. Um, But also you don't want that to happen for your, for your party. You don't, you gotta have, it's gotta be a governor, it's got to be a senator. It's got to be somebody who theoretically could win in, in normal times, you know, could have won their parties where it would have been competitive for their party's nomination. They'd be a credible presidential candidate, right? I think the standard should be if, you know, in a pre-Trump Biden era, this person could have, you know, sometime in 2012 or before have been a credible contender for the Democratic or the Republican Party nomination. You know, someone uh, and 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 the other thing is, I think if it's going to compete for Republican votes, it actually can't be a never Trumper on the Republican side. It can't be somebody who was inalterably opposed to Trump in every way, because the reality is there's about half of the Republican electorate who doesn't want Trump to be the nominee, but he has 80 percent approval in the Republican Party. People who don't like necessarily like him personally, don't like what he says, worry that he can't win the election, but they like his policies. I liked his policies. I, I did a column, you know, at the end of the Trump presidency with the mute button on. It's one of the best conservative presidencies of my lifetime. And I listed all the things he accomplished. Um, that was before January 6th. It was. But, 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 but the point being is that if you were somebody who was unalterably opposed to all of that before January 6th, then no, you're completely out of touch with the Republican Party and you're not going to win Republican votes. So it's got to be somebody the, the rub on no labels is it'll hurt Joe Biden and help Donald Trump because Republicans will never vote for it. So it's got to be somebody who can win Republican votes. And you're not going to do that with a never Trumper. Um, no, that's, that's right. I think it's got to be somebody. And that, and that narrows the field enormously of people who would be credible candidates. And so it's interesting because on, from an electoral standpoint, I don't think it matters to voters who, how they come up with their process of electing somebody. If it's a bunch of people in a back room who decided if they have a, you know, a, the worst possible scenario would be to have some Potemkin convention where they have delegates who weren't chosen in primaries and just sort of, you know, paid to sign up or whatever. And then you know, they, you're trying to pretend it's a democratic process and all the rest of it. it, it voters are going to have a, you know, in a normal election, a binary choice. They're going to have a choice between specific candidates and they're actually going to have to pull the lever and they don't care how it got there. The question is, is will the process be such that it produces, that it avoids catastrophic mistakes in choosing? The, the, great, the reason why you have primaries is because you want the wisdom of the people in, in, in choosing the candidate in a way that, you know, is actually, they might actually consider them in a general election as opposed to, you know, some poobahs choosing them in a back room and then finding out uh, to, their, to their chagrin that nobody wants their candidate. Indeed. Maybe we should be running this process. 
Anyway, we should hop to our guest because actually we are getting this from the horse's mouth. Uh, we're talking to Governor Pat McCrory. He's the national co-chairman of No Labels. He was the 74th governor of North Carolina and the 53rd mayor of Charlotte, North Carolina before that. He served on the U.S. Homeland Security Advisory Council under President George W. Bush. I had a great conversation with uh, Governor McCrory. Here's our interview. Well, Governor, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. So good to be with you. So the New Hampshire primary is done. Donald Trump won a fairly decisive win, though Nikki Haley did better than expected. She is continuing her campaign, but it's a long shot. And so people are starting to look at no labels and see if we do, in fact, have the Trump-Biden rematch that apparently nobody in America wants. Are you going to offer a alternative to that uh, for the American people? If the scenario continues where the obvious uh, results will be Biden and Trump, and if we can find a candidate that we think could win, because we're not interested in doing it unless we win, uh, we will enter the contest most likely sometime after, uh, soon after Super Tuesday. But what's ironic is the, um, the scenarios uh, coming out earlier than we anticipated. It may be over by South Carolina. And if Nikki would had not been staying in like she is right now, uh, we'd be put on the spot. Do we do it now or not? But we'd lo- no labels is actually a nonprofit. So our main goal is to get on ballot access. And then mm-hmm. once we get on ballot access, our goal is to have a president and vice president on that slate. Once we pick the slate, no labels is actually out of the picture. It's then up to the candidate and possibly super PACs and other things uh, to run the campaign. So, Governor, uh, thank you for being with us. It's really uh, a pleasure. It's very interesting to watch no labels, um, but let's let's get to the controversy right away. Um, right now, what we're hearing, I would say 90% from Democrats and 10% from Republicans, maybe, and you can correct me if I'm, I'm wrong on those percentages, is that no labels is going to throw the election to... Donald Trump. That is why the Democrats are coming after you. Tell us a little bit about that. Tell us why you think that might be wrong. Give give us the whole story. Well, from who it's coming from, it's quite laughable. First of all, it's coming from three groups. The first group is the typical Washington insiders who who were on all the talk shows, like myself, who predicted that uh, Biden and Trump would never be president of the United States. So they're experts. The second group it's coming from is MoveOn.org, the third wave, and the Lincoln Project, who obviously have an agenda. They want to protect the duopoly that we have right now with the two-party system because that means it's power and money. They do not want to break up the duopoly, and we're a threat to that duopoly. And by the way, we have gone to the Justice Department as of about three weeks ago, me and Ben Chavis and Joe Lieberman asked the Justice Department to investigate Third Wave, uh, MoveOn.org, and uh, the Lincoln Project for intimidation. Basically, voter intimidation because they're trying to threaten people who work for No Label's livelihood. And they've done it right on TV. They're not even hiding it anymore in their secret meetings. Tell us what kind of threats you're hearing. Oh, these groups are basically saying, we are going after your livelihood if you dare connect yourself with No Label's. If you... You'll never work in this town again. And listen, free speech is fine, but you cannot threaten people for trying to vote or for trying to get on a ballot. 
That's different. And that's how our lawyers feel about it. And the third group, by the way, that's just started attacking us, um, President Trump sent out a tweet last week saying this no labels is up to no good. They're trying to get me defeated. So they're all seeing us have some power and influence. And I find it kind of ironic that uh, both parties think they're the ones who are going to lose when I think they might be the spoiler for us. Because, <laughs> I mean, why not? If 65% of the people do not want a rematch of 2020, the numbers don't work in the party's favor right now. When, when Pro ran against Clinton and Bush, about 40% of the people did not like either candidate. We've never had 65% of the people. So the ceiling is completely different. And Pro got about 30, was at 35% of the polls beating both Clinton and Bush at one time. But then he got in an argument about, with the media about his wife's daughter's wedding and he quit. And then came back and he still got 19% of the vote. And these days it's different too with the super PACs and ability to get into campaigns. It's totally different. And we're on, we're on schedule to get on the ballots faster than Ross Perot was at this point in time. So our three main goals is get on the ballot, find the candidates, and then let the candidate uh, run their campaign. So I want to get into the whole rationale of the campaign and why you're not a spoiler and and how you, the path to victory. But let's stay on this this intimidation effort for a second. So it seems to me, you know, the Democratic Party claims that this is an existential fight to defend our democracy. Yet when it comes to Trump, they're using lawfare and the 14th Amendment to try and kick him off the ballot so that voters can't choose. And then with you, they're going up and they're using legal challenges and intimidation to keep you off the ballot. It seems like they're a fairly sizable threat to democracy themselves. Yeah, there's a lot of hypocrisy in politics. Listen, I've played the game. I've been played by the game and I'm here to expose the game because the game is so hypocritical. You know, I've been in the game of gerrymandering and as a mayor and a governor, by the way, we have gerrymandering in local government too. I was mayor for 14 years and, uh, and as governor, and the game to rig the election is completely accepted in both parties. And voter suppression on when you're wearing one jersey is okay, but the other jersey is allowed to do it if it fits their jersey's needs. And right now, they're they're doing a type of voter suppression to keep us off the ballot. And they try to do this in Maine. They're trying to do this in Delaware right now. They try to do this in Nevada and Arizona, and and they're using. Um, false legal arguments to do it. And we're winning every case. They're just taking up a lot of our legal time and money because some of these groups have more money than God to spend on lawyers. And people like Mark Elias and everything are suing us. And we're winning every case. I've had this happen. I've had some of these lawyers go after me when I was governor. So I'm used to it. But then again, on the Republican side, when we start going into full red states, which we're starting now, they're going to start going after us too with the same arguments. And um, we're saying the heck with it. We're, we're going to, we're, we are drawing the line in the stand. And we're, we're actually asking the justice department to go, this is not right. It is a type of, uh, we're using the liberal language of voter suppression. If you're trying to keep off the ballot, you know, the two parties are not in the constitution. George Washington even warned us about the two party system. I have political parties. And, um, 
I'm proud of what we're doing. Ben Chavis, a civil rights uh, icon, part of the Wilmington 10, served eight years in prison in North Carolina, uh, got a pardon by my predecessor the day before I became governor in 2012. It's ironic. He and I have become best friends. And, uh, and I have a great deal of respect for him. He's a brilliant man, and he's consistent. <laughs> he's consistent. So he's calling out the liberal groups for voter suppression, and he is being attacked for it and threatened for it. And uh, I so admire him so much. And Joe Lieberman, the other co-chair, is the same way. Right now, the left is doing the attacks. But uh, now that we got a tweet from uh, Donald Trump, I assume it's coming our way. I can bet that it is. So let's talk a little bit about no labels. We've focused, let me say, the public has focused in large part on no labels, the spoiler. Okay. Now, what I'm used to being a long, long time Washington veteran, (laughs) see, even my voice didn't want me to say that. Um, What I'm used to in this town is groups calling themselves third way and things like that, but actually being fronts for the Democratic Party. So there's a good question here. Okay. What is no labels the nonprofit that wants to get on the ballot but isn't sure who its candidates are going to be. What does no label stand for other than against the two-party system, against voter suppression? I'll give you the soundbite that you and I often have to do on, on the TV talk shows. It's about common sense. But we've detailed that common sense. We've come out with a 30-point common sense statement on issues, social issues, foreign policy issues, domestic issues. And heck, we've been more specific than any party. And it's still pretty general, but we're more specific than the two presidential candidates on what we stand for. And what we did was basically ask the American people through surveys, where do you stand on certain issues? And we did focus groups. And I'll give you an example on immigration, which is totally broken. The American people are saying, why don't we enforce the border, close the loopholes, but also accept that we're going to have to let the dreamers in. They're in their 20s now. We're not going to send them back home. That's what 70% of the people are saying, but the two parties refuse to accept that. The Republicans aren't going to let the dreamers in or they lose the primary. The Democrats aren't going to be hard on the border or they lose their primary. And the American people are going, what the hell's going on? You don't really want to solve the problem. And that's the common sense approach. And we have this on issues Issue on issue on issue, which we actually went to the American people. And after hearing back from the American people what they had to say, Ben Chavis and I got together and with the no label staff helped write these things. And Ben and I were going, damn, we agree with each other. We've both been canceled anyway. What difference does it make? <laughs> well, I'm sure you both have been canceled, as is Joe Lieberman, who joined you slightly more recently. But let me ask you a hard question that you got asked last time we were on the Meet the Press panel together, which is you've got some of that low-hanging fruit. You know, there, there are common sense answers to a lot of the problems. But, of course, common sense isn't what guides political decision-making. You were asked what, what no-labels common sense position is on abortion. And uh, you had an interesting answer. What's the answer? The no-labels um, is in asking the American people, the American people are saying 15 weeks to 20 weeks. 15 weeks seems to be the middle ground among the American people. But you see, that doesn't meet the litmus test of each party. Again, I know the game. 
when you're running in primaries, all these organizations have the litmus test. And if you don't meet the litmus test on social issues regarding gender identity, regarding guns, regarding abortion, you're afraid you're going to lose the primary and the right will go after you or the left will go after you. We're going, no, we're, this is what the American people are saying. We know we've got to have an agreement because the people are divided. And this is what the American people are saying. So we're looking for a presidential candidates that understand our framework, but we're not putting them in a litmus test either. We're not going to have 10 questions for them to mark yes, no, or undecided. And if you answer any of the 10 questions incorrectly, you're not, you're disqualified because that's what's happening with U.S. Senate candidates, governor's candidates, House candidates from all these groups now in, in primaries. You're given a 10 question survey. I know this, I've done it for 30 years and you're afraid to mark the questions not according to what the group is looking for. And by the way, some of the questions are so hypocritical and contradictory, but that means no difference now when you're in a primary. So Danny got to it faster than I was planning to, but I did want to ask you about abortion because I've, I've done a, uh, I did a column in the Washington post where I talked about this and I, I worry that abortion is the third rail that will knock this no labels effort off. Right. Because if you're not going to be a the, the the main thing that would stop a Republican from voting for a third party candidate is abortion, right? The Republican Party is pro life. Eighty percent of Republicans are pro life, and so you know the fact that Dobbs sent it back to the states and Trump was successful in getting a six three conservative majority on the Supreme Court actually frees up a lot of voters to do something they might not normally do and vote for a third party right now. But not if they think that it's going to advance abortion, right? In some way. And so, are you better off like trying to do something at the federal level with like a fifteen-week compromise, which it you know makes nobody happy? Or wouldn't it be better to say, "Look, Dobbs sent this to the states. The states are debating this, and we're not going to focus on abortion. We're going to focus on all these things where we agree and try and focus on areas where there's common ground, as opposed to taking on the single most divisive issue." And making that an issue, because if if you if you pick somebody who's, you know, pro-choice and says they're going to do something at the federal level, like Joe Manchin wants to, you know, codify Roe, that that's going to be a spoiler for Trump, because pro-life Republicans are not going to vote for a ticket that is going to put pro uh, pro abortion candidates on the Supreme Court is going to is going to codify Roe. How do you handle that? Well, speaking for Pat McCrory, I would just say the terms pro-life and pro-choice have been completely thrown out the window because everyone has certain exceptions. When I got into politics, the term pro-life meant no abortions, no exceptions. And then it's been great. Even in North Carolina, the North Carolina conservative legislature has just passed 12 weeks. And yet the political left, Governor Cooper is now saying, look, they're, they're radical. Well, if you would have said a, a Republican legislature would approve 12 weeks Five years ago, oh my gosh, the liberals would have been, look, look what we've gotten. So it's just kind of ironic how those two terms, I will say this, no labels in their common sense booklet did not talk about the issue, whether it's a federal issue or state issue. We did not get to that point. So I'm, I've got to be very careful. I've got to leave something up to the presidential candidate that is selected. <laughs> Again, I'm not going to, we're not, we're not going to put this presidential candidate in a in a box and say, you must do everything no label said. 
because that's what the two parties are doing right now, and they're trapped without having the ability to negotiate, without having the ability to listen to the American people, because they're trapped in their two silos of parties, afraid of all these special interest groups. And it, it's killing our nation right now. It is, And frankly, if you look at most polling, there's a certain percentage of people that vote only on one issue. And it's not as big a percentage as most people think in D.C. I think that's a really interesting point. Okay, let's, since we're in the realm of asking Pat McCrory really hard questions, let me ask you a, another one. The who is a, is a big question. Not that excellent band that you're Are you talking about the we about. won't get fooled again who? Or... <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we probably will get fooled again who. Let's talk about people. So when we first started hearing about no labels, we talked about, ooh, maybe Joe Manchin, right? Mark's just mentioned it. Maybe Joe Manchin at the top of the ticket. He's been very coy, Joe Manchin, about you know what his interests are. Then after Nikki Haley got a very respectable but not a winning, not a crushing uh, percentage in New Hampshire, uh, they started talking about maybe Nikki Haley, and especially after uh, Donald Trump gave that unbelievably weird, venomous speech about how Chris Sununu was on drugs and then no person who's ever even given to Nikki Haley is going to be allowed in MAGA world and all that sort of weirdo He was doing the same threats as MoveOn.org. Right. Well, they they have a lot in common, both these groups, as you rightly say. Now, uh, so, okay, the who question. Who decides who? Who decides who is going to be Veep? Who decides who's going to be presidential candidate for no labels? Because you're not using the Democratic primary process. That's question number one. Question number two, uh, let me make you laugh a little bit. Uh, When George uh, H.W. Bush grabbed Dick Cheney, former Secretary of Defense, and said, I want to put you in charge of picking me a vice president, he ended up with Dick Cheney, right? So is, is that an outcome that we're thinking about? Is it going to be you and Ben Chavis who are actually our candidates? Well, let me first so, say, to quote the to quote the who, uh, behind, not blue eyes, I have green eyes, I'm going to be a little coy because we're not ready to announce that process. And, and there's several reasons. Is we want as much flexibility and information on our table as possible. And the other reason is that we are being attacked unmercifully by these groups trying to slam us down. And we've got, listen, I know we've got candidates who are very interested in us and we're interested in them and vice versa, but it's going to be a huge decision for the individual. And they've got to be confident that we can get on the ballot, which we feel very confident we will. Although the candidate's going to have to get on about 14 or 15 ballots. Don't quote me on the exact number because by state law, we have to have a candidate name, but on all the other ballots, about 34, again, don't quote me on the numbers, uh, we can get on the ballot. So the minute we start talking about candidates, we get off our agenda of no labels, and that's ballot access. But we will have a process. Uh, Nikki Haley has got some restrictions, which hasn't been mentioned by the media, um, and that is this. Uh, anyone who's been running in the Republican or Democratic primary most likely will not qualify for president because there are many states with state laws, election laws, which are every state is a state election laws, even sore federal loser laws. sore loser laws. And so that basically disqualifies them from president because um, 
we can't afford to have someone who can't run in any states because to win this thing, we know what states we have to win. We've done very extensive modeling on which states we will target to get enough electoral votes to win. You've got to remember, it's winner take all in each state. This is not a national election. It's a state-by-state election. And it's winner take all except for, I think, Nevada and Maine. That's it. So North Carolina, the ninth most populous state in the United States, is winner take all. So we can win with 35% of the vote. And this is what the media and the parties are starting to realize, is that it's not a 50% election. It's a 35 to 45% election in each state. So we're doing, we're doing a lot of analytics, analytics. We're, we're very, very studious. But this is a very professional yet idealistic organization. They're very serious. And we're not in this for ego or jobs. We're in this for, the, for America. And I, I'm not saying that as a soundbite. We actually are putting country over party. Everyone involved has been blackballed from our parties, and we don't care. I mean, I'll never be invited to a Republican convention in North Carolina again, which is fine. I'm 67 years old. It makes no difference in, um, to me. So well, you're, you're young in got- American politics at this point, so that's Thanks nice. <laughs> hey, one of the things that was interesting to me was that when we were first talking about no labels— we were really talking about a Democrat at the top of the ticket and a Republican. Um, then at, toward the end of the year, uh, talking to some donors, and, you know, there are, you have Republican donors, you have Democratic donors, and you have donors who are just sick and tired of the, of the two candidates, like most of the American people. Um, they said to me, uh, no, 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 we think there should be a Republican at the top of the ticket. Is, are you equally coy about how that's going to get decided? Equally coy. And Joe Lieberman wrote that. But uh, you can hear within the conversations in our group, we are very analytical. We know where we have to get the votes and what groups we have to get the vote on. So our goal is always to have a um, kind of an independent ticket representing both parties. So that's our that's been our goal. But we've never stated who's going to be, you know, what party would be at the top or bottom. But we know what the analytics show. But we're looking at the candidates probably more than anything, so we we shall see. So I, I don't, I'll be a, I'll admit that I'm coy, unlike like the parties do, where they you know I'm not repivoting to another answer and ignoring your question. I just don't know yet, and that's the fact. Well, Joe Lieberman wrote in the Wall Street Journal that your polling shows that the the ticket does better with a Republican at the top. Is that the analysis you have? I'll let Joe say that. <laughs> I respect him a great deal. Okay, well, let me ask you. You said you're uh, you're very analytical. Walk us through, and you're not going to be a spoiler, and you're in this to win. No, we're so in this wa- to compete and win. Okay, so walk us through how you get to the presidency. You said there are certain states you have to win. There are, the, that, the best answer to the people who say you'll be a spoiler is to show a path to victory. So show us the path to victory. How does a no-labels ticket win the presidency? There are – I don't have the charts in front of me. Uh, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's like giving away our game plan and telling <laughs> you what advertisements we're going to do. We're not, you know, we're not foolish to do that. But there's no doubt that we think there are some states – 
that we have a great chance to win. And there are other states that we probably don't have a chance to win. You know, but but what's kind of ironic, the two-party system has made now the presidential election come down to six states, maybe, and everything else is irrelevant. We're now going to make many more states relevant in this election if we decide to run, which wouldn't that be great for our for our election process where instead of having Florida, Michigan, Ohio, whatever, North Carolina being the only states where it really makes a difference that it's going to be a much broader selection of states, which will have uh, a real say-so in the presidential election. Let's say you are competitive and you're able to win some states, as you uh, predict, and the likely result of that might be that nobody wins the Electoral College. Trump wins a bunch of states. Biden wins a bunch of states. You guys win a bunch of states. We've never had sort of that kind of a division of electoral votes. And then it goes to the House where there are no no labels representatives in the House. There are only Republicans and Democrats. And well, you they, make that assumption. Well, right. Okay. Would it be the new Congress that would decide or the old Congress? The new Congress. New Congress. Okay. So, so you're, are you? That's my understanding. I, I've got a whole, we've got a whole group who's looked at this scenario, but our scenario is to win it without going to the House of Representatives. I think there's a step two between the election and the House of Representatives. Okay. Well, walk us through it. And are you running? Are you going to be running members of Congress too and, and Senate, Senate candidates? No. No. We have committed only to um, have the top of the ticket. We, to our surprise, we've had a lot. We've even had local politicians call us up and go, can we get on the no labels ticket at the county commission level? Because it's rigged at that level, too, in many cities and counties and towns. And at this point in time, we just don't have the organizational structure to control it. We did have some Democratic left wing groups, I think, in Arizona, try to um, get on our ballot and have us lose control of the ballot as a way to sabotage our efforts. And we, I think we've won that court case too. So they're looking at every angle where they can, certain groups are trying to sabotage our efforts by getting on down, down ballots. We don't have the resources. And this started it. This started as an effort that if we have a rematch of 2020, we will get involved. Anything but that we'll bail out. If something changes between now and super Tuesday, we're not in it. We'll say, well, we spent all this time. It's a great time, but we're not going to do it because we've made that commitment. But how do you win in the House? In the House of Representatives. Yes, it's a, it gets thrown to the House. How, how does no label come I'm gonna, out? I, I'm, not, I'm not the person to talk to about that, but I'd be glad to get you in touch with the no labels people. But I'll, I'll tell you, our goal is not to have it go to the House, just like that's the goal of the two parties. Can, can we talk a little bit about just what no labels represents. You know what appealed to me about this? No, the term no labels even is that I'm so sick of politicians being labeled as right wing extremists or left wing extremists or liberal or conservative or progressives. When I know a lot of politicians, including myself, who are more conservative, but I look at every issue on its own merit, usually from a conservative viewpoint, but then I might vote to get things done. And therefore, I'm labeled as a rhino. 
And I know liberals who are then labeled as, well, he's not a true uh, progressive now is the new term. And this labeling that we've done in the two political parties and by the media has literally stifled any conversation among people because the label goes, well, don't talk to him. He's a right winger. I've been called a moderate as a mayor, as a conservative because of one issue. I've been called a right wing extremist and canceled. And so was my state. And then as a U.S. Senate candidate, I've been called a left-wing rhino by the former president of the United States. And I'm going, really? I haven't changed a bit. I'm the same guy. And yet these labels are a way to defeat you, not on logic, but on labeling. And it's ruining political dialogue. And we, we, so that's the concept of no labels. Quit labeling people. We're, so Ben Chavis and me and Joe Lieber can actually talk to each other and not be canceled for doing it. But can we just, uh, the, the question I think I was, was getting to is, of course you're completely right, that in many ways, in many ways social media has been part of, of making our political system into a bunch of caricatures where, you know, rhinos or, you know, or extremists or progressives or communists or whatever it is and and that's dumb um and and not a useful uh, basis for having a political uh, important political decisions made but there's a bigger problem here which is that our system generates this right because we had less than 15 percent of eligible republicans working on voting in iowa right uh, ditto new hampshire i mean isn't the problem here really not Joe, Joe Biden, you know, elderly, increasingly gripless uh, president, or Donald Trump, elderly, increasingly bananas, former president. Isn't the problem the primary system? The system is broken. And I, right now, I think the two parties actually don't mind that. In fact, they've rigged it to be that way. I mean, who would have imagined the Democrats would pull out of Iowa and not even be involved in that after the history of them being very active in that. And in New Hampshire, Biden didn't even get on the ballot. And then we had, what, 14 Republicans, I'm guessing, 14 Republicans running, some very good friends of mine who I served with governor as. And before one vote was cast, most of them were out of the election. I I just, it has changed so dramatically. Um, And so, yeah, the system is broken. And I love where both political parties right now, the left is criticizing us going, well, you're not having an election, a primary election. I'm going, really? Is there really much difference between what no labels is doing and what the Republican and Democratic are doing? Because we really aren't having primaries. I mean, after one election, we only have two people on the ballot in New Hampshire and now maybe in South Carolina. And no one, the Democrats are keeping the Minnesota congressman off some ballots. And the leadership of the parties is not crying foul because they're in the pocket of the money. They raise money off of this. And I know it. I know how they raise their money. Joe Biden is the least popular president in the history of polling going all the way back to Harry Truman. And his um, vice president is not much better or worse. And, and his vice president is is less popular than he is. Is it possible that if that if 
the Democrats stick with Biden, Republicans pick Trump, that this will be a Trump versus no labels race and that the Democrats will actually be the third party? I don't know. I did I did kind of half comment that the other two candidates might be the spoiler, and it, it was more of a full comment. The other two candidates in this process could be the spoiler for us. In fact, the only argument many of the critics are leveling against us that you're going to be the spoiler. They never level an argument against us on the issues or the quality of the candidate. It's just you're wasting your vote. It's almost a type of arrogance that the two parties have in which they're saying, you have to select our choice or else. I mean, can you imagine a company? You have to pick your product, whatever we present to you, or you're wasting your purchase. I'm a conservative who believes in competition. Competition in business, competition in sports, and competition in politics. And these are the least two competitive groups of organizations I've been involved with that um, I think are hurting our democracy. Yeah, well, I think I think you'll find, at least until you have two candidates that people can focus on, that a lot of the American people agree with, agree with that assessment. Okay, I've got one quick, easy, easy peasy exit question for you. Okay. South Carolina's coming. Nikki Haley is absolutely being crushed in the polls. Even if she crawls back, I don't think she's going to be winning in South Carolina as much as I might like her to. Um, It's Donald Trump and Joe Biden again, reliving the nightmare of 2020. It'll be great. Is No Labels going to be on the ballot if that's the case? Uh, The scenario fits the criteria. If the criteria of them not being the obvious candidates, our numbers don't work. And again, we're not getting in this for our ego or pride or just because we put a lot of time and effort and money into it. We're doing it to be competitive and win. So it's going to be pretty obvious at that point in time. I mean, look at four years ago. Biden won South Carolina and the Democratic election ended in winning one state. It basically, poof, it's gone. And Trump's was, it was over pretty early for him too. So it's it's just kind of ironic where if anyone throws stones at our process, I will go, you, you, you're living in a glass house right now. <laughs> I'm, look, I'm looking forward to our decision-making process. Um, I will say that the group I'm involved with is both idealistic, they haven't lost their idealism, and yet pragmatic at the same time. And I'm, I'm proud to be associated with it. And it's it's been a, a great year. Now, I'm a volunteer, by the way. Me and Joe Lieberman and uh, Ben Chavis are volunteers for the organization. We've committed a lot of time and resources. And I hope it moves forward. Our goal was that a year and a half ago that we'd as, we assumed the two parties would wake up by now. They haven't. They, they, they're turning their back on the American people. They don't care what the majority of people are saying right now because their structure of operations, Danielle, is broken. It doesn't fit their process. And you know behind the scenes, Danielle, that a lot of the people who are currently in office are going, oh, my God. And, you know, a lot of them, if they don't get on the bandwagon, both parties behind the scenes, both of them are going, we've got a lousy candidate. This is horrible for our nation.
but in front of the cameras, they can't say that or they will be canceled. So my exit question, Governor, is, is so what's next? You know, assuming that we have the scenario that Danny laid out, you've got to pick a candidate. How do you do it? There are not going to be primaries in every state, obviously. You don't want to create like Potemkin primaries or some Potemkin convention that sort of seems undemocratic and fake. But, you know, who decides this? How are you going to have a convention? Are you going to have competition? Or is this just going to be a group of people are going to settle on candidates and present it to the American people? What's the process going forward? What's next? Well, first of all, we've got to keep working to get on the ballot because we're wasting our time if we don't get in the ballot. So we're we're fighting all these forces. I mean, in North Carolina, they stopped us for three months, even after we got all the signatures. So we're in these battles to first get on the ballot. That has got to be our number one goal because we're wasting our time picking a candidate. If we can't get on the ballot, the candidate's got to have confidence that we'll do that, too. I'm not going to throw a candidate over the cliff and then, you know, put their family and everything else in jeopardy if we don't do our job. And we're doing that. and We're on schedule to do that in the states that we're allowed to do it. Um, We'll be announcing the process of candidate selection. I guarantee it'll be based upon feedback from the American people. It'll be feedback from no labels members and delegates, which we do have. We have delegates in every state required by law, and we'll be getting their feedback also. And uh, how? And and I've stated also that the selection will be among the business community, the military community, and the political community, both current and past. And uh, Republicans, Democrats, and independents. I hope if, if this scenario works out that we find a president and vice president that are willing to take on the assignment and have a chance to win and are qualified. We've also asked the American people, what are you looking for in a candidate and what does the current slate not have? And by the way, we're looking for a character, not a caricature, (laughs) (laughs) which I believe a lot of people feel we have right now are caricatures, not a care, not character. Mm Mm-hmm. We're looking for problem solvers. We're looking for people who have uh, experience working across the aisle and solving problems because No Label started the Problem Solvers Caucus over 11 years ago. Yep. And uh, so we've got the traits that we're looking for and we've got the analytical numbers we're looking for and we'll have strong feedback for the people and No Label's uh, membership and delegates that is extensive in all 50 states. I mean, we have... Zoom calls every week with many, many people. It's the technology has been perfect timing. And COVID, sadly, was perfect timing for this type of effort to go across. And we were going to do a hard convention. And we decided against it about two months ago because several reasons. One is it's mainly a PR move for the two parties now. And the media has finally figured that out. It's not worth their time to cover it. And therefore, it's not worth the money. And it also tied us into a hard date to make the decision. And we don't really tie it into a date. We want as much flexibility as organization as possible, knowing that the scenario on the ground can change at a moment's notice. But we have stated Super Tuesday is kind of the, the time where we go, did the scenario work or not work? Thank well, God you- for technology now. It did work to our advantage which allows us much more flexibility and not having to have a hard convention. I'm very pleased 
that were not we were planning to have one in Dallas and we had all this money lined up for it. And I'm I'm so glad we're not doing it. I've been to many Republican conventions and it was the biggest waste of time and money and resources. I've had him in Charlotte, by the way, as mayor. And I've spoke at one. I spoke at Madison Square Garden and I thought it was the biggest deal until I started speaking. I realized not one damn person was listening (laughs) to my incredible speech was going to be the escalation of my career, you know, and it's kind of become a joke. Um, Well, they get a week of coverage, so I don't know if, uh, you know, uh, you know what? I don't think that's even true anymore. I don't think they, they get now an hour a night and it's all set up like a Hollywood production. And then it's forgotten. The next day, it's it doesn't even fit a two-day, 24-hour news cycle after spending tens of millions of dollars. The city of Charlotte raised millions of dollars for the Republican convention. Then it was canceled due to COVID. And, and then Obama came here for the Democratic convention. And it was literally forgotten within a day. <laughs> I mean, talk about a waste of money. I'm giving Pat McCrory's opinion now. I'm not speaking on behalf of no labels, but it's, <laughs> it's a lot of resources uh, spent for a TV event. Now the TV's not even interested anymore. It's not like the old days where you're in Chicago down on the floor and people are having fights over who's going to be selected and things of this nature. Would you agree with that, Danielle? Yeah, look, I mean, I think I do agree with that, actually. I think the conventions have become performance art. We know what the conclusions are in advance. You know, not to sound like Donald Trump, but the system is to a certain extent rigged, and I don't think we've had a good national conversation about how to fix it. So the last thing we agree with is common sense. The conventions are kind of a joke. And most American people (laughs) are I just sent from both of you on that. I I I think it'd be... uh, crazy for no labels to not have a convention that introduces its candidate to the American people. And I think since it's such a unique event with having a no label, a third party ticket to pass up an hour on TV a night to introduce yourself to the American people, I agree that it's not, there's no, you know, the conventions are rigged, but it is a PR event and you guys could sure use it. And I think everybody would tune in to see who, 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 who are these people that were thinking about taking on the two parties, but we can, we can jump off well, that. We might come we get up to with it. a unique way. We might come up with a unique way to do just that. And um, it's a new time, new technology, and uh, we shall see. Hey, listen, this is, we don't have a playbook for this. I mean, I'll be honest. Making it up Uh, as we go along, right? Hey, you know, the founders of our Constitution didn't have a playbook either. You know, in 1787 convention, (laughs) who would have imagined some of the conflicts that the founders of our Constitution, I mean, some of these guys hated each other. And never got along, and we had conflicts about you know about the Articles of Confederation and things of this nature, and how to convert that. And here we've got a group. I'm not comparing us to that in any means, and don't let the headline do that. But they were they were kind of creating history and adapting to the environment, and we're doing the same thing, and well, we're being flexible and adaptable, and um, with the best interest in our hearts, in our brains. And um, I'm proud to be a part of it. And I appreciate this opportunity to talk about it. Well, we loved having you on. We're fascinated by what you're doing. And uh, we, we can't just wait to see what happens next. So we'll, we'll, we'll have you back on as the process unfolds, if you don't mind. God bless. Anytime. Thanks. Take Thank care. You. Governor. So, Danny, what do you think? 
So two things. First of all, I didn't realize that about Nikki Haley in all the conversations that I've had, even on TV on the night of the New Hampshire primary. I don't think anybody was factoring in the sore loser legislation in a lot of states. So in fact, well, that's why Trump can't run. So that you know, a lot of people were afraid. Oh well, if Trump doesn't get the nomination, maybe he runs as a third party uh, and splits the Republican vote, and that's the reason why Donald Trump can't do that too if he had lost the nomination. Right. So it gets one creep and one good candidate out of the running, but you know, we're not we're not overloaded with great political candidates. So that's you know one thing. Who would you like to see? I mean, do you have a do you have a dream team there, Mark? Um, so I, I, it's, it's difficult because it's, so I, I wrote a column basically saying that it needs to be two, two things standards for me. It can't be a never Trumper. Can't be somebody who is not going to win over those voters. It's got to be somebody who can compete for Republican votes. And it can't be somebody who is pro-choice or is going to do something uh, that the, t- I'm a Republican voter. 80% of Republicans are pro-life. Um, and there's a reason why in the modern era you've never had – since Roe v. Wade, the Republican Party has never nominated a pro-choice candidate for president. Uh, it's a pro-life party. Pa- uh, Governor McCrory is right that there's – you know the definitions of what's pro-life and what's not and where people are on the specifics of the abortion issue are different. But I'm not going to vote for somebody who is going to put pro-choice candidates on the Supreme Court. I'm not going to vote for a ticket that's going to codify Roe v. Wade or try and you know reverse the Dobbs decision in any way. And most Republicans aren't either. So it's got to be somebody who's, you know, th- this ticket can only succeed if it's abortion neutral. They've got to put a pro-life Republican on the ticket because uh, if there are no pro-life Democrats left, uh, there's no the, the if you're going to choose a pro-life Democrat, the options are few. And even the ones that call themselves that, you know, Joe Manchin is ostensibly calls himself pro-life, but he wants to codify Roe v. Wade. So uh, so this is if they don't do that, then they're not going to get Republican votes. They're not going to get my vote, you know, and and they're not going to get votes of people like me. But I think that if they stay abortion neutral and, you know, they with the I- irony is, is that Trump's success in appointing Supreme Court justices and the Dobbs decision actually opens the way for Republicans to vote for a no labels ticket because they've got a 6-3 majority on the court. Nobody looks like they're about to retire in the next four years, though, of course, you know, any somebody could die at any moment. So uh, so uh, but even then they'd have a 5-3 conservative majority. So that's sort of insulated a little bit where people might feel safe to take a risk on a third party candidate this time around. And as long as it promises not to, you know, be proactively at the federal level, either pro-choice or pro-life and leave it to the states, which is what Dobbs did. I mean, it's a godsend for the no labels movement. It sent abortion to the states where they don't actually they're not putting up candidates. So they should just embrace that and say, we're going to focus on we're not going to focus on the divisive issues that divide us. Let the states sort that out. We're going to focus on areas where most people agree and where we can find common ground then that's going to that could be a competitive ticket. Yeah, but I mean listening to you talk about the specifics just kind of rips the veil off uh, and suggests yeah. to me that this is going to be a lot harder. It is uh, going to be than, hard. Than than I think um it sounds when you have a really sensible conversation with Governor McCrory, you know, it, it, he does sound sensible. He doesn't want to be out there, but finding 
those people, you know, we don't live in an artificial intelligence world. We can't create fake candidates as much as I would like to. Um, so I think this is going to be really hard. The other thing that really struck me about this conversation is just how little we talk about what's wrong with our political system. Because, you know, the truth is that what I said during the interview is, is right. This primary system, which was meant to replace the sort of a smoke-filled room, we've said this in a couple previous podcasts. Actually, I like the smoke-filled room better because what your labels has, right? <laughs> except no well, smoke. Except no smoke, right? But but the reality is that that our primary system is completely screwed up. It ends up elevating the most fringy people. I mean, Bernie Sanders could have won the Democratic nomination in 2020. Just imagine to yourself, that guy is a nut. And Donald Trump, of course, you know, I think is a nut as well. So, uh, you know, the fact that our primary system, which represents a minuscule proportion of voters, ends up coughing up these people and that we can't get more people to the primaries, we can't get more people to engage, all they want to do is complain, is really problematic. Well, here's a couple of things in response to that. I actually think the primary system is responding to the will of the voters. It's just I'm not sure that the will of the voters is is uh, what uh, at least – well, first of all, there's no primary system for a sitting president. So the Democratic base is not getting a chance to vote on whether they want Joe Biden to be the nominee or not in any way. And there's no – you know, there's no Ted Kennedy who came out to challenge him. I mean, Dean Phillips is a nice guy. I met him in New Hampshire, but he's no Ted Kennedy. And so the, you're not having a serious challenge. Donald Trump won the presidency in 2016 because riding in the, into the White House on the issue of illegal immigration. And so the Democrats get back the White House. And what do they do? They unleash the worst border crisis in American history, which is made, you know, for TV to, to put Donald Trump back in the White House. And then they're going to be surprised when he rides illegal immigration back into the, uh, into the Oval Office. And that's something we should have a podcast on in and of itself. And then 91 indictments. I mean, I'm sorry, as I've said before, the Unabomber had 10 indictments. <laughs> you know, Charles Manson had 12. 91 indictments, using the 14th Amendment to kick him off the ballot. And what's interesting is, I touched on this with the governor, but again, I think it's, it might be worth exploring a little bit more deeply. Who's the threat to democracy? You know, the Democrats are trying to use the 14th Amendment to kick Trump off the ballot, sue him, you know, sue him, indict him, prosecute him, and all the rest of it. And they're suing to get no labels off the ballot. It's like they they, they want a Soviet election. <laughs> In both cases, they you know they they complain about voter suppression. What the hell is that? But voter suppression. So you know, I I think it's entirely possible that Donald Trump is. I think it's likely that Donald Trump is going to be the nominee. It's entirely possible that no labels will put up a serious ticket, and the Democrats, for all their voter suppression efforts, will find themselves in the third position. And they deserve it. Could happen. And they deserve it if they do, because they they're the they're they're as much a threat to democracy as uh, as anything they complain about. Well, I'm not 100 percent convinced by that argument after the way Donald Trump has been behaving. But but... and and you'll you'll feel that way when uh, if the Democrats win, Joe Biden wins. Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema are not there anymore to protect the filibuster, and they have the Senate in, in 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 their hands, and they get rid of the filibuster and make DC a state, pack the Supreme Court, and pass everything with fifty votes. Then you'll be with. Then you'll you'll say, Mark, you were right, and I want to. Mar- I want everyone to remember this podcast, bookmark it, so we can come back 
if that happens and we can all say, listen to Denny say, uh, you were right. And I'll say, I told you so. Okay, Mark. Well, you hold your breath until that moment. Okay. And (laughs) (laughs) I won't be there for it. Uh, That's okay. I'm good with that. Oh, no, I love you. It's okay. I don't want you to hold your breath. Just part of it. Anyway, folks, thanks for being with us. There'll be lots more of this down the pike. This is going to be the all election all the time year, I'm afraid. And I'm already despairing of it. And it's not even February. (laughs) Take care, folks. See you next week. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing us at whatthehell at AEI.org. Or you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at D Pletka. And I'm at Mark Thiessen. That's Mark with a C. Please rate and review the podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, share it, comment on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.